Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's guest is Lewis. Lewis is a guy who was pretty much out of video games altogether until he got intrigued by Dark Souls, and uh, now he has gone all the way through the entire series, and um, I think his journey is really super interesting. I think you're going to have a good time, and I think you will enjoy this episode. kind of I'd kind of been away from video games for a long time I was really into them as a kid but um yeah I just kind of fallen out of love with it I, I was I was a musician I was playing a lot um and I just kind of fallen out of computer games but um I was kind of I still kept a hand in a little bit you know like I'd read uh, some computer gaming magazines and things like that occasionally but not really you know I wasn't really following it that much um and I think you know, the name Dark Souls had come up a few times, but I think I'd kind of consigned it to the bin as just like dark something, like a dark stalkers or a, you know, like just kind of generic <laughs> fantasy name. Yeah, you know, sure. Just kind of sounded like, yeah, whatever. Just sounds ridiculous. There's a, uh, there's kind of like a, someone was telling me there's a weird, like, Dark Souls clone, Souls-like on the on Steam that I haven't, I don't, I've never paid attention to, but it was called, um, he was saying it was called Souls in Darkness. I, I think the actual name is like Sword in Darkness, but it's one of those like yeah. super generic names that you just d- d- does not stick in your mind whatsoever. Exactly, like it's out of your head instantly. So I thought it was just you know kind of a, just another generic kind of RPG thing. Um, but roundabout when Bloodborne came out, I saw I started to see kind of loads of really interesting kind of press for it, and I was um, I was watching a lot of because uh, I'm a teacher, so. I found myself watching a lot of Let's Plays to A, kind of keep in contact with what the kids were sort of looking at. But B, I found it found it really relaxing to fall asleep to as well. Um, and I quite liked the survival horror kind of thing. And I saw people talking about this game Bloodborne in terms of horror and in terms of... Uh, the, the YouTuber Jim Sterling did a thing about how Bloodborne is kind of um, survival horror. And I thought, oh, that's pretty interesting. Um, and then the name Lovecraft came up and I've always been a massive fan of Lovecraft, you know, like Eldritch, anything is right up my street. So I kind of thought, Oh, this is really interesting. So I started kind of reading about it. And one of my things is I, I, oftentimes I like to read about something just as much as actually enjoy it, you know? Um, But yeah, so I found myself kind of reading, reading a lot about it. And then I saw that this game Dark Souls was made by the same guys and then on, I think, Destructoid or something, they had, oh, Dark Souls is for, like going for $5 right now on the Steam store. Steam store. Um, so I thought, oh, yeah, it probably wouldn't even run on my laptop, but it's only like five, you know, it's five quid. So I give it a go and I downloaded it and it ran. I was amazed. It's like, oh, wow, this actually runs. Um, I didn't have a controller. So I just kind of, I remember. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I kind of started it up. And the first thing is the kind of character creation screen. And you, you've got the music as your intro. And I just fell in love with that music. Um, I thought, this is beautiful. Like, there's something really kind of, I don't know, something really evocative about it. And the um, the character creation screen, like, the faces are really goofy as well. <laughs> so I really like this kind of mix of, like, oh, there's something quite profound here. There's something really stupid as well. Um, so I managed to find <laughs> that's Dark Souls, like in a nutshell. There's something very profound and very stupid here. <laughs> exactly, this kind of mixture of the, the low and the high, you know. Um, but I man- uh, managed to get a controller in the end um, and started playing it, and just really, really fell in love with it. Um, yeah, just kind of, I don't know. Like I'd been away from computer games for a long time, as I said. So it ran badly on my laptop anyway like so kind of but frames dropping and things like that wasn't an issue for me because you know i'd had like a super nintendo and that was that ran it frames per second you know Mm -hmm. like single digit frames so you know kind of running badly i never had any problems with so when you know i saw lots of things about blight town i never couldn't really what's so bad about it this is fine it just seems like the rest of it to me <laughs> didn't really care that much at all it all ran <laughs> yeah, bad exactly. yeah exactly um but but it ran like beautifully for me because you know i'd never seen a game that looked like this you know like i'd seen screenshots of games before um but 
yeah, just that kind of thing of actually controlling this thing. And it felt amazing, you know, like the the, ta- the tactile nature of the combat and everything. Just, I don't know, there's something, and it still does it for me now, you know, the kind of the feel of it in your hands is really remarkable. Yeah, it's something about uh, how deliberate the movement is. Going back to Dark yeah. Souls Remastered over the last few weeks and months has been kind of eye-opening in terms of like just compared to Bloodborne or even Dark Souls 3 where it's it's much more fluid and, and fast which I, yeah, I you know I yeah. can see a case for both uh the 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 deliberate kind of slow plotting uh that is Dark Souls 1 is is really fun for me though I think it works really well in the environment yeah exactly um I picked a knight as my first character <laughs> and I'd seen like videos of people playing playing dark souls and they kind of did, they kept doing this like fast roll thing where they were kind of zipping all around and like, i tried to roll and just fell on my back you know the thing <laughs> like that doesn't look half as cool when you're actually playing it um <laughs> but then obviously i found out about equipment weights and things like that um and yeah i remember because because i'd read a lot about it i'd also read a lot of stuff about dark souls 2 as well i think and i kind of conflated and confused a lot of it so I remember being sat at the, the bonfire at Undead Berg and just almost crying with frustration, just like, I can't do this, I can't do this. But kind of half remembered that I think the enemies despawned if you killed them enough, which was obviously something I'd read about Dark Souls 2. So oh, I, no. just spent, I just spent hours there just kind of <laughs> killing these things. Just like, oh, it will happen sooner or later. <laughs> I think that's the third time I've said, oh, no, during this podcast. Your, your, your journey through Dark Souls is very perilous, Lewis. <laughs> um. But, you know, there, there's something, I mean, it's something I do like about the games to this day. You know, I, I, I listen to a lot of, um, you know, obviously I love Bonfire Side Chat and I know like kind of Gary's view on things is that grinding is is horrible. And I do, I, there's something, I, you know, if you're forced to do it, there is something awful about it, but there's something really, really relaxing as well about it. You know, just putting on a podcast or something and just kind of, I'm just going to go around in this little loop, kind of killing things for a bit. And you kind of maximize it, you know, and kind of um, iterate and kind of make get better at it. And that, that's kind of like the Dark Souls experience in a in a nutshell, really, isn't it? It's all about iteration and kind of getting slowly better at this thing. Yeah, my um, I, I know very well Gary's views on grinding, and I think that uh, <laughs> I think it's I think his views hold up, especially if it's like involuntary grinding. If you exactly, had to if yeah. you had to spend those hours doing that in order to kill Gwyn. I think that that's probably yeah. not a fun time. Like if you literally oh, no, could not no. damage Gwen until you were level 157, right? Like if that was that situation. Yeah. Um, that would be, and it's a game that doesn't require that, which is absolutely yeah. lovely, you know. Um, but, and one of the things I think, I think one of the things that drew me into the series, you, you know, from looking at screenshots of Bloodborne and things like that. Um, and the thing that I still love about it and the thing that still impresses me is it's kind of aesthetic, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of unified in a way, but kind of strange. And the kind of the design sense of the game is incredible, you know, from the from the enemies to the buildings, there's a real kind of immaculate sense of everything being put together in a really interesting way. Um, and that still really appeals to me. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's interesting because the it's one of those games and I always, when this subject comes up, I always bring up shadow of the Colossus because I feel like shadow of the Colossus does this to me as well, where every Mm. single thing that's there, like I I want to ask questions about it. Like, why is this rock here? How did this tree get here? (laughs) You know, what happened in this temple? Like that's it. You know, it's very few games inspire that amount of like amateur archeology span on my part, but dark souls, especially one of them when I played it for the first time where I would just stop and like spin the camera around and like try to look at artwork or something. Exactly. I think I think you hit the nail on the head with the word archaeology. That's that's a phrase that keeps bubbling up in my mind every time I kind of play these games. And, and there is a kind of archaeological sense of it. Um, you know, obviously with the lore and things like that, um, there's a sense of you kind of digging down into this world and and kind of digging down into the minds of the people who made it as well. And 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 also the community sense of it. You know, you kind of because it's such as this community outpouring you're kind of getting all this input from other people. And it's, I don't know, it's like a real, there's a real mix of kind of psychology. And I don't know, I think I'm rambling a little bit now. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Dark Souls does to you, man. Like you start talking about it and you're like, all of these things really affect me. Yeah, Um, exactly. And it's, you know, I'm trying to kind of put my thoughts into order about it because I'm, I don't know, I don't, I don't really like talking about computer games in real life. There's something, 
I don't know, it feels kind of, there's something masturbatory about it, you know, it's, it's kind of private, you do it in your bedroom, kind of furtively. Um, <laughs> it's okay, man, G- games are an accepted media nowadays. <laughs> oh, I don't know, I don't know, you just do it with the curtains closed. <laughs> no, you know, lots of, my, lots of my friends play games, but I just, I don't know, there's something I don't like, and to hear the words come out of your mouth when you're actually talking about these these goofy names and the, you know, these item items and you cr- cast this spell and things like that you know you instantly get a, sa- a sense of i don't know i get so embarrassed about it cerebral that's why this is really nice to actually talk about it out loud i feel like i'm at a support group yeah it's fun when you finally find like some some fellow people to talk about it that understand the language and everything because i mean plenty yeah. of people on this podcast have told a story of like their significant others or their partners to say and like please i don't i don't care about gwen like please just stop just not at the dinner table tonight please exactly Exactly. Um, yeah, my kind of girlfriend at the time, she sort of became, <laughs> yeah, I kind of, you know, I just lost myself in the world a little bit. So I think she became a bit of a widow for that for that time period. Um, but I, and I think that's quite a common thing, isn't it? It is, absolutely. And I mean, I think... I think that's a little unfair. When, I, when we make jokes about that, I think it's a little unfair to the partners who probably genuinely want to have those conversations with their with their gaming significant others. But uh, it's yeah. just it's more of a joke about how Dark Souls fans just can't shut up about it. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. They, they're always there for like, oh, okay, yeah, that is interesting. Like, tell me more about these weird serpents that have teeth for some reason. And then by like the sixth time, you're like, and then what I really think Manus is is actually, and then you're like, okay, look, I'm not I'm not this much <laughs> into it. Like, you know. <laughs> And it's um, it's like someone telling you a dream, isn't it? It's like all these exactly. nonsense made oh, up things. And you're like, I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> My wife and um, I have a have a running joke of like you can always tell that I'm not paying attention to you. Like how? Like because you're telling me about your dreams. Like I just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's really good. Um, but but something that that kind of an abiding feeling that I have from the first Dark Souls is a sense of kind of melancholy and loneliness from it. Um, and I don't know if that's, that says anything about me or where I was in my life at the time. Um, but, you know, like I've, I've kind of mixed like these kind of fairly grey Sundays and things like that with the run to Sven's Fortress and just that kind of there's, there's like a really pleasing emptiness to the world, even though it's like full of horrors and things, especially going from Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3 back to the first Dark Souls. There is a kind of loneliness and an emptiness to it. You know, it's, it feels really desolate. There's, there's something about, and they do this in the later games, uh, but there's something about like the ambient audio in Dark Souls One that yeah. really make that drives that home. Like if you're standing in Undead Berg and you crank your your speakers up or you crank your headphones up, like you can hear like weird stuff happening in the wind, and it just makes you feel yeah. isolated and alone. Um, and they and they do the same kind of stuff with Dark Souls Three, but for whatever reason, um, or the rest of the series, I should say, but for whatever yeah. reason, it works best for me in Dark Souls One. Yeah, yeah, I really love the ambient audio in um dark root as well that kind of um crickets or whatever it is you know mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know much about insects um <laughs> but yeah there's this kind of like ambient sort of sound going on it's, it's, there's, there's like waterfalls going on in there there's kind of um the, the chirp of crickets i think and yeah i don't know it just builds up this real sense that you're there Yeah, it's 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 that kind of stuff, like that sense of place that I think ties into so much. Like this is an actual place that I'm exploring, and not just a video game level. And that's one thing that the Souls games have gotten really, really good at, and also really bad at in some cases. Yeah, and I think I think you know, so Dark Souls became just my game that I played for a long time. Um, eventually, I started branching out into other games. You know, I, I bought because I had a Steam account by then, so I bought some other games and started getting back into computer games again, which was nice. Um, but around, around about my birthday, I think it was my 32nd, um, I saw Scholar of the First Sin was on sale on Steam as well. Um, so I bought that. And I don't know, yeah, Dark Souls 2 is a really funny game. I'm still not quite sure how I feel about it. I kind of love it, but I'm also dis- a little bit disappointed by it in places. But then I think... In regards to Dark Souls 3, I'm kind of, I think they were going in far more of the right direction with Dark Souls 2. Yeah, it's Does that uh, make sense to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I think there's been a, 
the swing on Dark Souls 2 has been interesting to watch since Dark Souls 3 happened because um, we didn't get a lot of the direct comparisons with Bloodborne because they were so different, I think. But once 3 yeah. came out, it was like, oh, yeah, okay, so we told you that we wanted a direct sequel to Dark Souls 1. You guys did like this weird other sequel to Dark Souls, <laughs> to Dark Souls 2, yeah. which almost feels like a prequel. Now you're giving us this thing that we, we, we told you we want, and we actually don't really want it that much. Um, yeah, exactly. We, I, like, a, um, it's it's interesting that that game, like, the more distance we have from the the, that, the trilogy, like, it's obvious, especially in retrospect, that the story stuff not connecting on a literal like six weeks later kind of basis mm. works better for almost everybody. It was an absolute benefit for it. I think. Um, I think my only problem with Dark Souls Two is that it kind of didn't go as far with that stuff as I kind of liked. I really liked that everything was kind of disconnected, but that some things cropping up kind of unchanged, I found a little bit disappointing. I kind of wanted to see how... I kind of wanted Dark Souls 1 to be treated like it was a myth, you know? Like, so this, this you know, this guy said he he, he did this courageous act, he, you know, this linking of the fire thing. Um, but actually, this was just a story that those people told. You know, we're completely removed from that now in Dark Souls 2. And this is just a myth that we have does that make sense absolutely kind of rather than Mm -hmm. rather than it being taken as this was an actual fact of the world this was just a story that was told in that world you know how how myths change over the years and things like that and i don't feel like they did quite enough of that it it was kind of implied there were lots of amazing little bits about you know like the elizabeth mushroom stuff like that was great (laughs) yeah that's Um, always the one that i go to as well or like the solaire stuff like the the solaire kind of being um you know a, a figure that existed but not necessarily like named or anything throughout the game exactly yeah and i, I kind of wanted to see you know like the armor sets kind of evolve and things like that so when you know armor bits did crop up i kind of wanted to see armor, armor bits from dark souls one i kind of wanted to see what time and iteration had kind of done to those things you know how they kind of changed and warped and i think they did do a, a, a pretty good job of that with the um the undead legion in dark souls 3 i think that's probably the best way that they've kind of iterated on the ideas from dark souls one but dark souls 3 has a lot of its own problems with callbacks and things like that well you know dark souls 3 had that comic book and it showed um that solaire <laughs> figure that had the uh the the real angry sun face instead of the happy sun face so that you know that's that's kind of like an evolution of some armor right <laughs> you're right you're right i've just that's kind of corrected everything about about all of the series for me oh thank um, thank god for the comics <laughs> explained everything have you, have you read them no, I read uh, when the when they first started coming out. I read the first one, yeah. uh, and it was it was pretty atrocious. And I'm a comic book fan, so like I'm yeah, me too. I I, uh, I, I just it re- really re- the first one rubbed me the wrong way, and then I I never bothered with the the rest of the series. And then uh, the Bloodborne stuff has started coming out, and I've heard that to be um, I've heard more positive stuff about the Bloodborne yeah. comic, um, or at least I haven't heard as much overwhelmingly negative uh, information. Uh, but at least the Bloodborne comic looks good. But I haven't actually sat down to read the whole thing. I was kind of—I don't know if it's all out yet or not. I don't know if they finished it, but I kind of just want them to finish it, and then I'll just read it all at once. Yeah. Well, I think it, it kind of makes sense for the fiction of the Bloodborne world, right? There are kind of people. Um, they're transforming into monsters, but Dark Souls doesn't really have any people, does it? It has the odd yeah. person or two, but you just got kind of zombies and like the main character doesn't. You don't want the main character to say anything, you know? Like there's there's no there can't be any words in it. If if they made like a kind of silent comic. That could be quite good, I suppose, but still, I don't know. That would be so much resting on the artwork, you know. Yeah, the um, Marvel did. I may have talked about this on this podcast before, or maybe it was the X Men podcast. But uh, Marvel did like a, I want to say it was like a themed month where they were trying to make mm-hmm. silent comic books, and um, that's like, quite cool. Yeah, so like a bunch of their uh, flagship entries just had no dialogue in it, and. Um, Grant Morrison was writing X-Men at the time and he cheated oh, wildly. Wow. Like it's just Jean Grey and uh <laughs> Emma Frost like talking to each other telepathically using symbols and I'm like, "Well, that's just cheating." <laughs> like that's yeah, just that. it works. Like it's not words and I think that's impressive. Like he invented that, that whole language or whatever, but um but yeah, there's some other some, some other issues from that month which were very very good. So I was kind of half expecting you to say like Grant Morrison had in every panel he kind of um like all the characters were portrayed to like show different letters or something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> I look very bending over to make an R and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> that would be classic Red Morrison. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, 
I'm curious. Uh, we were talking about Dark Souls two and kind of where that lies in the in the whole trilogy. But I want to jump mm. back to Dark Souls one for a moment. Uh, sure. One of the questions that I love to ask on this podcast is like how you figured out that there was a story to begin with, in, in Dark Souls because it's always it, it's it's very hidden unless you know what to do. Like it took me a long time to pick up on item descriptions. Like did you figure that out yeah. or did you see that online or how did you how did you well, come to terms with that? So this is a kind of thing that I feel like a. I don't know, I feel slightly like a charlatan, I guess. Because I'd, I'd kind of watched some, like, Vati Vidya stuff before even playing a game. Um, you know, I, and so when I found out that I wanted to play this game, you know, I had that interim period where I bought it, but I didn't have a controller. But I still wanted, I like, like I said, I kind of like reading about stuff and watching stuff about things. So I ended up watching a bunch of videos and things like that, you know, from Vati and other people like that about the lore of this game. Um, so I guess I kind of had it told to me, which is a bit of a shame, I suppose, you know, I didn't, I didn't manage to do it in my own finding things out. I mean, I think I still put together some kind of, of my own theories. I can't really remember them now, to be honest. Um, (laughs) and, (laughs) um, you know, probably like, you know, like you have your own little headcanon, don't you? That's probably wildly inaccurate, but you kind of, well, it's, it's the story I'm going to tell. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think a lot of it was just cribbed from what people were already saying in the stories that were already out there. So I think, you know, a lot of it was kind of received wisdom. Um, and I guess, I, I don't know, I'm kind of, I think I'm a little bit dumb and mechanistic when I play computer games. It's like, all right, I'm just going to do the thing, you know, like, I've just, I've got a button to kill some people and there's some people there. So I guess that's what I'm doing. You know, I'm fairly unassuming and kind of just accept the thing. Um, so I don't think I really thought about it. I was just just like just a guy running around as well, killing things, and it's like, which is kind of monstrous when you think about it. But <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where because uh, I grew up playing Nintendo and Super Nintendo games, and I never mm. um, like obviously Zelda, like you know, all the Zelda games had a story yeah. or whatever. But uh, you know, a Mario game, I never asked why I was head bopping the, exactly. the, the goombas like i just did it <laughs> and, and you don't think about the goomba's wife or children do you, you know you don't... <laughs> not until much later and you start feeling horrible about it you write a whole fan exactly. fiction series and it's bad <laughs> um exactly so you know so i've kind of taken on that thing of like oh they're just they're just sprites they're just things that are it there and then to find out that there was you know everything told a story and it was a lot richer than that it was it was kind of incredible, you know, just the fact that anyone had gone to this much effort over things that are fairly, you know, what were once really insubstantial. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I kind of, I didn't f- figure the story out for myself, I guess. So, yeah, so I guess I missed that, which is kind of a core component of finding, of, of the soul's experience, isn't it? Finding stuff out for yourself, but I didn't do it. So yeah. make me so make me a fraud, Jeremy. No, ab- absolutely a not. Fraud. No, it doesn't because um, I mean I, I think it's I think finding stuff out about your about the game yourself is you know like playing it for the first time. I think is is kind of um, an important thing of like just trying to to keep it out of it. But for a lot of people, that doesn't work. Like for my wife, uh, yeah. she she we watched uh, Infinity War recently. Um, I had seen okay. it in the theaters, and she she had looked up all the spoilers online, and uh, she enjoyed yeah. that movie way more without the anxiety of like is captain america going to die or not um yeah sure and i I don't think she would have enjoyed it like on a on a fresh watch so for some people having the context of of that story of when they meet a character like fat tarkas knowing like oh okay this is the dude who is trying to do this you know that makes that more impactful as opposed to here's giant dude with a sword that killed this boss for me in five hits um so i think i don't i definitely don't think it makes people a fraud to do that because video (laughs) games should be experienced however you can and you know whatever works for you yeah because uh, I mean, let's let's face it. I didn't like figure out the story on my own. Like I started like looking at stuff and like, oh man, this is there's something here. Like and it kind of kept pulling me yeah. in. And then I watched an E and B video and I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I mean, can you remember your first? Did you ever have like a cosmology of it that you kind of pieced together that turned out to be wildly inaccurate, or or did you just have kind of feelings really? Uh, mostly a lot of feelings. Uh, the story that I always go back to because uh, I got so heavily into Dark Souls One that when Dark Souls Two came out, I was I was really excited and I was planning. I was like, okay, I'm gonna 
now that I know the way these games work, I've played Demon Souls, I've played Dark Souls. Now mm-hmm. that I know the way it works, I'm going to sit down with like a notebook, and when I meet people, I'm going to make notes, and that's going to be it. And I'm going to I'm going to figure stuff out. And then uh, yeah, yeah. I got to that first house, and I wrote down like Fire Keepers question mark. <laughs> And then uh, I found that notebook years later, and that was literally the only thing I'd written on the page. Like, I just played the game. Like, my brain <laughs> is, it, is not is wired the, to, to put together lore stuff at all. I like to think it was the only thing you wrote in the entire notebook as well, and just put the notebook aside. <laughs> <laughs> I think I ended just up using it for work, keepers. but that would be very funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think also for me, um, one of the reasons I kind of wanted to get back into computer games, or I kind of justified it to myself, is I was listening to a lot of podcasts. Um, and it was a good way for me to do something with my hands, you know, while I, while I listen to stuff. I used to work as a, um, as like a painter and decorator uh, years ago. And so I listened to a lot of podcasts while, while doing that. And I think playing games and, and having podcasts on in the background has become sort of, you know, they come together kind of thing. So I was listening to all of Bonfireside Chat and uh, Twin Humanities while I was playing through Dark Souls 1. So I also had that kind of constantly going in the background, you know. So when I bumped into things, I kind of had a, oh, that's interesting, actually. Oh, so this is this guy. You know, whereas I would have just thought, oh, it's a guy. You know, otherwise. <laughs> yeah. There's a dude with a sword. Okay, that doesn't exactly. mean anything to me. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. He, he he looks he looks pretty stupid. Um, but actually, <laughs> oh, he's, he's got this tragic backstory and things. Like, oh, right. Extremely okay. profound, but very stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Coming back to our, our, our theme for it. What was, uh, so Dark Souls 2, did you ever get around, because you mentioned that you, you were watching like Let's Plays of Bloodborne, did you actually mm. go through and play Bloodborne, did you buy the PS4 for it? Well, um, well, yeah, so like when Dark Souls 3 was coming out, I realised, I, I watched some of the alpha footage, I think, and I realised that my my poor laptop would definitely not be able to play that, um, and, and Bloodborne, I was like... I just said to my girlfriend, I think I want to get a PS4. It's like, is that, is that awful? Is that really bad? She's like, no, you treat yourself. That and it was the nicest thing she's ever said to me, I think. Um, so, yeah, I actually bought a PS4 and instantly got Bloodborne and just absolutely lost myself in it. Like, what an incredible game. Um, platinumed it. It was the, it was the first, um, I think it might be the first Platinum trophy I got. Um, so you did the Chalice yeah. Dungeons? Yeah, your name. I did Chalice the Chalice Dungeons. dungeons. I kind of don't mind the chalice dungeons. I know it's terrible. Good man. Good um, man. No, you're you're in good company like, on this podcast. I'm I'm the I'm the chalice dungeon supporter. So, so obviously, when I got to the defiled, um, I mean, there's there's a lot of issues with the chalice dungeons, right? The, the fact that they make you have to pick up all these materials is is nonsense. That's really bad. Um, you know, just if they made it so you could just peg it, get to the boss room, fight the boss, move on, that'd be great, right? But all the, you know, you have to get three jellies or two pieces of hair and things like that. That's pretty <laughs> bad. Um, but getting to the defiled um, chalice and then just throwing myself against the watchdog so many, many times that I became an absolute master at that that fight. It's kind of, it's like a, a really harrowing version of the Artorias fight where that's incredible and you fight it a lot and you get really good at it. I did that with the watchdog and that was kind of out of spite as well. You know, I just threw myself against it until now I can just, just do it straight away, you know, not take a single bit of damage. Yeah. You come out of, uh, the chalice dungeons with kind of a weird, um, what is the what is the complex where someone kidnaps you and you, you end up oh, falling Stockholm with him. syndrome? Yeah, yeah. So, so like I have fought the watchdog, like defiled watchdog, so many times, and finally did it with you know only using three or four blood files at the end. <laughs> that yeah. Now, yeah. I th- now I think that that's good. <laughs> now that I, I now, my brain has tricked me into enjoying all of that time uh, when I probably didn't at the time, but it was a very <laughs> very much a sense of accomplishment and like I can do this. Exactly. I just have to execute on it. I mean, you know, I don't think. I mean, the, the episodes of Bonfireside Chat about the Chalice Dungeons are some of the funniest things I've ever listened to, and I've listened to them again and again, and I agree with everything they're saying about it, about and just how much Gary hates it is is really, really funny, and he's, he's, he's right on the money about everything, you know. Um, and this is something that came up more when I got into Dark Souls 3, I think. You know, the kind of one-shot one, hot, one shot kills are absolutely indefensible. Um, but I did it, and I think also... It was 
a moment in the game, I think, for me, where I started co-oping loads as well because I knew how hard it was and how frustrated I got with it. So just helping other people with it and just the, you know, the, like the thanks that you'd get after it. It's like, oh, well, man, that was amazing. Like, oh, that was incredible. You know, it's, it really makes you feel good. I've, I've always really liked the co-op in these games because just helping someone struggle less than you did is, is really nice. It's incredibly rewarding. Um, I, I've spent so much time in all of these games just because I always get stuck at some point in the game where I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I like this boss enough where I'm just going to sit here and, and get summoned for it until I, I stop getting summons, basically. And uh, Exactly. It's so, it's so much fun. And you're right. Those messages you get for people are, oh, thank you so much. I've been doing that for hours. You're, you're the man or yeah, whatever. Like, yeah. it's, it feels so good. It feels so gratifying to do it. It's such a neat way to allow a player to control difficulty as well. Exactly. And to kind of... To, and also to show, you know, your kind of expertise is kind of, I mean, I'm using that in a very guarded kind of term, but, you know, you've put a lot of hours into this thing. To, so, so to kind of show someone your, the benefit of your experience is really nice, you know. Um, oh, it's definitely a show-off thing. Like, I remember exactly, when, yeah. I, when I was doing ONS with my uh, caster on Dark Souls 1, uh, you know, she was incredibly overpowered and had, like, you know, New Game <laughs> 7 level of spells. So, like, it was a couple of shots of Crystal Soul Spear and, you know, Ornstein was down. And people were like, what, what? how do you do that? What did you do? Like, it's definitely, like, a real big show-off moment of, like, look how powerful and cool I am. Um we have to get on to talk about sorcerers at some point in Dark Souls One because that was one of the funnest funnest runs I think I did. Um I went back to play Dark Souls Remastered recently and I'm doing it as a sorcerer and you can power through that game. Oh yeah. And it's it's so nice to be able to do that as well. Like Dark Souls three became so resistant to that. You know, it's like, oh no, we can't let you get too much of an advantage. You're like, why not? Why not? And I kinda know why. It's like PvP considerations, I guess. But I don't know. It makes it makes makes it boring, didn't it? Yeah, I uh, I really like being able to break games, and I like you know when games allow me to break them in good ways. Um, I don't need I don't necessarily need that for every single game out there, but like Dark no. Souls One has a couple of like key ways that you can break it and go into different spots and get stuff early that make it so much more interesting to go back and play it you know a different way or a different time versus Dark Dark Souls Three, which feels very linear and very like we want you to have this gear at this point. So I've gone back recently and done Dark Souls Remastered because I wanted to I wanted to platinum it. Um, well, it became more of like a a kind of compulsion. I think you know I just kind of wanted to pick it up and play it again. Um, but then I went back to Dark Souls Three as well, and that that kind of juxtaposition has been really interesting because Dark Souls One you can do so many crazy things out of order, um, and it's really interesting. You know, you can run down straight away and get the get that sword from Nito. Um, and, you know, if you want to, you can do kind of really low-level invasions in the Berg, you know, with this ridiculous sword that's kind of fun. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose you've got the thing in Dark Souls 3 with the Dancer. I've just done a Faith run-through, and you can kind of, if you bleed her with Gnaw, um, that's it's kind of easy mode, I guess. But And that's one thing, but it doesn't feel like it's got half the, you know, half the kind of openness that Dark Souls 1 had. And that's that's something that still surprises me. Yeah, I really think that uh, Dark Souls One was a like a kind of tremendous ca- like confluence of events, <laughs> right? Like I don't, yeah. I think they obviously they put a lot of work into it, but it very much feels like lightning in the bottle that they've uh, it, trying to get back to since then. Um, it really is. I think you know, just it's kind of, I mean, you know, pure perfection doesn't exist, things like that. But it's about as perfect as you're going to make it. And I think you know, even the bad bits of it. I still don't really hate them that much, I guess. They're kind of disappointing, um, but they're still kind of interesting. So going back through Dark, through Dark Souls Remastered and just seeing that those four last areas have a really clear kind of theme and a sort of mechanic to them, um, and that kind of gets dropped by, a, well, kind of Dark Souls 3 and Bloodborne, I guess. You know, the kind of bit where you have to use a light or you have to use these weird curse things, you know, in order to get through these these areas. And I don't think Dark Souls 3 really has anything that's kind of analogous to that. Yeah, and I really wonder how much of that is up to, like, 
the developmental history of uh, all of these games because as we're seeing with more of this uh, cut content stuff come out, like Dark Souls 3 had a completely different plot structure and a bunch of different mechanics that we don't see in the game anymore. And, you know, they it's yeah. it's pretty obvious that they created that Soul of Cinder boss specifically for like late in the development cycle, but specifically to have an end boss because they were changing stuff sure. around. And uh, Bloodborne has some similar stuff with that as well where, you know, there's, there's entire areas or entire bosses and things mm-hmm. in there that imply a completely different story and man i it, it has to be you know I, I look at making movies or making video games and just like wonder how anything ever gets like a fin to make a finished I, product and uh it's incredible isn't it how, yeah. how does anyone make anything especially of this scope you know um to, so to actually get it out the door is incredible and you know in, in the amazing shape that they were but there's always for me there's that little part of oh if they just gave it a, another year or something though, yeah absolutely you know? mm-hmm. that's why i'm glad Obviously that they're that's... uh kind of getting away from namco because i feel like namco was the one that was like okay we need another souls game like start making it you're making dark souls 2 you're doing that thing for sony you need to start making dark souls 3 for us um the definitely feels in bits of dark souls 3 where they kind of wanted to be done with it you know um there's still like a lot of great things about that game and um i've been replaying it recently after sort of pulling off of it for a long time and there are still lots of really really good things about it um but there's definitely a sense that let's just give them a souls game you know it's kind of it doesn't have to be anything inventive or original necessary let's just get it out the door so we can move on um, and that sounds really harsh and damning, and I, I, I don't mean it to be. You know, I don't know anything about the ex- I, the experience of making it, but it definitely feels like they had kind of had enough of making them at that point. Yeah, and I'm, which is why I'm glad that we're getting stuff like Sekiro, um, which feels like it's a. I think for a lot of people who've been following from software since you know Demon Souls or Dark Souls One, it probably feels mm-hmm. like something like a completely different direction but like if you look at the history of from software it it's it's kind of almost like a return to some of their earlier works and uh yeah yeah and it feels it's gonna be so refreshing just to have like this world without any expectation or uh ties to anything else uh, like if patches shows up i'll be overjoyed if there's a moonlight great sword <laughs> from armor core i'll be overjoyed but uh looking at the footage and everything it looks just like something like this going to completely stand on its own and I, and I can't wait for them to have the freedom to do that without being oh we have to have bonfires oh we have to have yeah you know we have to have respawning enemies we have to have like these things that make a souls game a souls game and i think something that's kind of it feels like um Sekiro's kind of uh, an apotheosis of, of things that they've been building towards like um so you've got the one play style and I think that must be incredibly freeing for them you know because it, it's something they've kind of hinted towards I think with Bloodborne you know it's pretty much only one real play style like a kind of melee play style and and I feel like in Dark Souls 3 they I don't know I don't think they really wanted to do it but obviously they had to and at Sekiro, you've only got this one play style. And you've got things like the the multiple health bars, which um, I really didn't like. I started to really dislike going through Dark Souls 3. But you see that on even just kind of fairly common enemies in Sekiro as well, right? If you watch the footage from Epic Name Bro and stuff. Um, I watched uh, whatever, was it Gamescom was the most recent yeah, um, I watched. So I watched like there was a 50, 11 minutes of secure. I haven't watched any of like the named YouTube analysis. Like I've kind of fallen off okay. on all of those people. Yeah. Um, no, no disrespect to any of them. I just like I just no, no. I don't have room in my day to listen to a guy tell me about something for eleven minutes. Like I'm just not gonna. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, um, that's absolutely reasonable. But I did watch the footage. Um, yeah, and like seeing like enemies with that weird kind of. It's almost like they have a stamina bar and a health bar, and like to be able to hit that health bar, you have to knock down their stamina enough or something. I wasn't a hundred percent clear on the mechanics so you know internet people put put really down your email clients but <laughs> <laughs> it does look really interesting though and it does seem like something that they've kind of been building towards and i think you know narrowing down the play styles i think a lot of people see that as negative and also getting rid of pvp but i think i don't know i think it would just allow them to master this one thing you know and also they won't have to have those pvp considerations of oh this will be overpowered and things you know they can just make it a really really interesting one player game you know which is kind of really what i want you know and i'm so excited about that uh grappling hook like we we haven't really seen yeah. we've seen verticality in souls games like you can go back to demon souls with a uh, um basically all of world three all of latria and and like your descent into that but uh 
it's it's having the ability to traverse that verticality very quickly and efficiently, I think is going to be something really interesting. And like getting stealth kills is something that really didn't like dark souls. You could do stealth, Like you could, you could kind of sneak up on people sometimes, but it's let me get the backstab. It wasn't, let me pull, pull them off of a a cliff or something. So I'm like seeing that traversal side of it where people are just bouncing through these levels and going extremely high and then jumping down low and grabbing onto people and getting, pulling, getting, pulling yourself closer to an enemy is, is something that, think it's really interesting and because it's from you know that it's going to feel really really good doing it as well yeah, absolutely you know, you know that's what i'm excited about you know that just everything is going to feel really lovely to play um and like you say the stealth thing is really exciting uh, i imagine it won't be you know it won't be too much of a thing in the actual game i imagine there will just be light elements of it but you know i, I love a good stealth game now so um yeah i am very excited about that yeah i'll be kind of curious because they've said uh, when they get questioned on difficulty, they kind of have this, uh, I don't, I don't want to say a canned response, but they have this prepared response of like, if you're the kind of gamer that, you know, barges in and tries, tries to beat everybody up, this game is going to be very difficult. Mm-hmm. But if you're a, a thoughtful person that's going to prepare and kind of slowly approach these combat scenarios, it'll be easier for you, which to me means like I have the ability to go in and kill a bunch of enemies or I can sneak around and kill them one by one until nobody's left. Uh, which yeah, yeah. if I have if that's like the variation in gameplay, I'm pretty excited about that because I can definitely see me doing a stealth run while I'm getting used to the mechanics and then going back through and going, oh yeah, like now let's kill everybody now that I actually know how to control this stuff. Now you can kind of abuse the systems exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah that looks. It, yeah, I'm very excited about it. I'm uh, I'm curious, uh, and I'm guessing the answer is no. But uh, you haven't played. De- have you played Demon Souls? That's the one I haven't. So it's it's. I um, I keep I'm getting a lot of talk about my laptop for some reason. It's just an old <laughs> Windows laptop is fine, um, but I tried to get that. Is it RSPC three, the kind of emulated mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. um, to try and work? But because I've got just like a kind of onboard graphics thing, it wouldn't work. So yeah, that still that one still remains elusive for me. Yeah, they really need to remaster that at some point. <laughs> please, they please. really do. I mean, if it was if it was just um namco you know it would be out by now um but it's not is it no yeah i think the the, the weird publication rights on, on that game is going to be something they have to figure out like the rumor is has been since the you know since blue point finished shadow of the colossus like it would make sense for them mm. to do like a true a comp- an actual remake from the ground up on that game but I, I don't like unless a bunch of people signed off and a bunch of people are going to get paid like i don't i don't see how they can really do that so and i think for me i kind of I sort of want to see a little bit of the jankiness of it, you know. I kind of want to see that that history of it a little bit, um, and I think it still looks really, really good. Uh, you know, I've watched some like videos of it, and it still looks really incredible to me. I don't know why, um, because the, you know, it's not that the character models are particularly kind of detailed and things, but just watching it and seeing pictures of it, it looks incredible. I like the aesthetic of it a lot. It's uh, it's something special. Like um, I've always been of the opinion that the like the true sequel or excuse me the true trilogy of you know from software mm-hmm. modern games is demon souls dark souls and then bloodborne like you can kind of there's a yeah. clear path between those and um it's it's really interesting going back and seeing the the origin of all of this stuff and seeing like the weird mechanics that they put in that they later pulled out and all that stuff like it's yeah. it's it's worth tracking down an old ps3 4 <laughs> like it's a pain in the ass but it's yeah. worth tracking down an old old, old ps3 4 unless they you know eventually get rid of unless they finally put it on ps4 well i think that's a good point actually i think some friends at work probably have an old ps3 maybe i'll Maybe I'll look into it and just buy it. It can't be that dear on the PlayStation Store now, can it? Like um, it's routinely been like five or six bucks. Uh, so, like, if it, I would watch sales and stuff and just go ahead and get it, pick it up on digitally, because um, I mean, you can find the disc for pretty cheap as well. Like, if you're not trying to look yeah. for a collector's edition copy, you can find the disc. I'm sure even cheaper than that. But um, yeah, it's it's okay. not very expensive. I will I will give you one piece of advice if you do that. Um, look up how to use your DS4 on the PS3. Because the I, the PlayStation Three controllers, the DS Threes, that were some of the worst controllers in my mind, and the DS Four is so perfect. <laughs> I'm so glad they've like figured out how you can just hook that up and let it work over Bluetooth. So they kind of look the same though. What's so different about them? There's a there's the way it feels in your hand, and there, there's a heaviness to the DS Fours that the DS Threes okay. don't have that feels a little bit more solid, and uh, the yeah. sticks feel a lot more janky. I don't know. It's just it feels like it's uh, just a, a much cheaper and, and kind of crappier controller. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Um, 
yeah, the first time I picked up a, one of those DualShock things, it's incredible. I've just been playing on kind of these these cheap knockoff Xbox controllers that I've been getting, you know, for like five pounds or whatever. And to actually have like a heavy weighty controller in your hands does feel incredible, doesn't it? Oh yeah, it feels it feels really good. Yeah, and you'll, you'll notice immediately, like if you pick up a DS3, you'll be like, oh, this isn't this isn't what I want at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, noted. That's that's some good um, pro level strats. <laughs> I'm curious what uh like if you since we're, since we know secure is coming down the line um if it was up to you like what would you want to see from from software do going forward like what what would it be Bloodborne two or Dark Souls four like what do you what do you want to see these people do? This is such a difficult one because um, you know I think I feel like Dark Souls three there was loads of missed opportunity in there and um but I I don't think I want to see that world again Bloodborne. I'd love to see another game, but also really, really don't want to at the same time, you know, because it's so singular and so such an amazing, cohesive piece of work um, that a second one just wouldn't do anything with it, you know. But also, I really, really want it at the same time. <laughs> Does that make sense? There's Absolutely. a kind of weird cognitive dissonance going on. I mean, I, I've, I've gone on record as saying, like, it would take me to probably Dark Souls 6 before I would finally not buy the Dark Souls games on release. Like, they would have to get continually worse and worse and worse. And exactly. by the time Dark Souls 7 gets around, I'm like, okay, well, I'm good. I don't have to see that. on Like, I don't have to play that on release or anything. I'm, I'm okay. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, because that's, that's just... If they do it, I'm going to play it. <laughs> like, I can't exactly. not play it. So. I'm going to buy it, but I just I just not like it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. buy it, yeah. Um, I don't know. Lots of, so lots of people were talking about them doing some sort of um, kind of sci-fi Dark Souls thing, and that doesn't appeal to me in the least, to be honest. I, you know, I kind of like, like sci-fi stuff, but I don't know. That seems really boring. How do you feel about that? I... Um you know we, we kind of i don't know man like i my, my ideal bloodborne 2 is is very much a um like similar themes similar kind of monsters mm-hmm. but totally different environment totally different characters um yeah. and if they went that route with it like you could get me real excited for bloodborne 2 yeah. if it was bloodborne uh you know yarn on plus 500 years it'd make me a lot less excited i mean i would still play it because i love the gameplay so much but to get me really yeah. excited about it it'd have to be a complete change of setting uh sekiro is actually I mean, like, not ever what I would have probably envisioned or, or like said out loud that I wanted, but like that that verticality and the way they're they're handling the tools on your weird left yeah. arm is like a, that's going to make something that's going to be really interesting for me. Even though that setting that does. usually doesn't work for me, like I'm usually not like feudal Japan stuff. It's not something that I'm really into, but I'm, I'm here like for it. Feudal, like, yeah, I mean, I like feudal Japan stuff a lot. But um, did you play Neo? I played the first bit of Neo, and uh, <sighs> Neo. I think Neo came out around the same time like Horizon and Near Automata did. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Like I played a little bit and then got so obsessed with Near Automata that once I came out of that hole, I, I kind of forgot that it existed. It's still on my PlayStation. Yeah, yeah. I should go back to it, but I just, you know, haven't had time. I don't know. Like it, you know, the mechanics and stuff are, are excellent, um, but it's pretty kind of bland, really. It doesn't really do anything with its locations and stuff. You know, it's just like zombie dudes on a hill. Um you know, and there's such a rich kind of vein of um, Japanese folklore to draw from, and they just don't really do anything from it with it. You know, mm-hmm. um, it feels like a bit of a missed opportunity. Um, in terms of, I think in terms of soul stuff, uh, if you read Berserk, I have not, and it's such a g- wide gaping hole in my in my soul <laughs> inspirational stuff that yeah. I'll know a lot of people that are really into it and that uh, have read it, and it it feels like almost intimidating to get into at this point because it's yeah. so huge. Uh, but I, I very much want to because obviously there's so many parallels and so many like direct you know inspirational things. There's there's a lot in it, and I think there's just I think there's one thing in one of the later. Well, I think it's kind of round about the two thirds point. There's like an image in in Berserk that. I'd, really like to see i'm amazed that hasn't appeared in a from game and essentially this this guy this demon guy gets all these bodies and kind of knits them together and like makes this kind of like womb out of these like people sewn together and it's really disgusting and i really want it to appear in a souls game (laughs) (laughs) i'm also curious um as somebody that was kind of not playing video games at the time and then kind of got brought into it via souls over the last few years do you think that these games have have changed you as, as a person or as just a, as a person who plays games at all um i think so i think 
they've definitely been transformative. I mean, just getting back into computer games because I've kind of lost myself in it a little bit. Um, that's still coming out in a wash, wherever I think that's a positive thing in my life. Um, you know, like I'm a I'm a teacher, so I've just had the the six weeks holidays in the UK. Um, so I'm going back to school soon. And a lot of that has been spent playing computer games, you know. Is that a good thing? I don't know. Like I've enjoyed the time, you know, I don't necessarily regret it. But also, I don't know, there's other things I probably could have been doing as well. So yes, I think but I've also discovered lots of new ways of thinking, lots of incredible podcasts. Um you know, there's 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 a whole new side of things that like a whole new artistic field that I've opened myself up to. Um th- that's been incredible, you know, and really rewarding. But whether that's you know, whether it's like kind of I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it, I suppose. Is, is <laughs> That's a perfectly fine answer, answer too. Like that's that's perfectly okay. So I, I it's a question I like to ask people just to kind of get a an idea because it seems like these games can be so impactful. Like I'm just kind of curious in the various ways that have affected people. So I've definitely got, yeah, and I've got lots of, you know, really seared into my memory um, kind of moments from Dark Souls as well. Like I said, that little, the kind of melancholy feeling of Dark Souls 1. Um, and there's lots of little bits from Dark Souls 2 as well, like the sea in Medulla and the theme song and things like that that I think will really stick with me for a long time, you know, I think are really beautiful. So, yeah, that's incredible. Well, Lewis, thank you very much for uh, for guesting today. I very much appreciate it. Can you tell everybody where you can be found on the internet? Um, I can't really. I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of an internet shut in. Um, I, <laughs> Excellent. Well, I used to do <laughs> I used to do a lot of uh, social media and things, but I just can't handle like the constant aggression and, and anger and things like that. So. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so that's me. You can't find me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I guess get in touch with me, and I'll send Lewis a message somehow. <laughs> yeah, that'd be really nice. Well, thank you again for guesting. I appreciate it. This has been a great conversation. Oh, thank you, Jeremy. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're a, you're a legend. You're a true legend. As always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. You can find the podcast at don'tgiveupskeleton.com. That has links to all of the social media links that you could possibly want. It also has a link to our to Patreon if you want to support the show directly. Or it has a link to the uh, Skeleton t-shirt. If you want to put a skeleton on your belly, that is the place to go to do it. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening and uh, for supporting me on Patreon and supporting me via merch purchases and all that other stuff. It's, it's very, very much appreciated. Uh, yeah, again, this thank you everybody for listening. It's very much appreciated. And remember, don't give up, Skeleton. Yay! That was and, amazing. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> it goes about fast, right? Like, once you once you get into it, you're like, wait a minute, what, I, I don't even remember that I'm recording. So. That's it. Like, I, I kind of had lots of ideas I didn't even say, but then 